Jon Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever watched a segment on The Daily Show and thought to yourself, hmm, I'd like to know a little bit more about that topic. Well, if you ever thought that you're not my mama because she don't watch the show on a regular basis because she always watching NCIS New Orleans. But for the rest of you out there, welcome to Beyond the Scenes. I'm your host, Roy Wood Jr. This is the podcast where we take a deeper dive into some of the most complex issues covered on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And to my mom, if you're listening, I know we're not as good as NCIS New Orleans, but, you know, if you give us a chance, I swear you'll enjoy it. I'm your son, Joyce. I should be in your DVR. Today, we're talking about being black in the workplace. This is a story that originally aired on the show back on June 22nd, 2020. Why aren't more African-Americans hired in American companies? Is it because they're lazy? Is it because they're uneducated? Or is it because offices are just way too cold? Well, despite what your racist uncle might post on Facebook, the truth is, for many black Americans, getting a job is almost impossible. And it's because their blackness stops them from even getting in the door. Blacks are the last hired and the first fired. White males are hired based on potential. Blacks are hired based on demonstrated accomplishments. Going back a quarter century, statistically speaking, very little has changed for black applicants. Whites receive, on average, 36% more callbacks than African-Americans and 24% more callbacks than Latinos. Thousands of made-up resumes were mailed to employers identical except for the names, half black-sounding, half white. The results? Black-sounding names were 50% less likely to get follow-up calls. Wow. Racism never takes a day off. If you have a black-sounding name on your resume, you're 50% less likely to get called in for the interview. Imagine if America had the same policy when picking a president. That would have screwed things up. It says Barack Hussein Obama. Okay, next, next, next. What we got here? John Edwards. Now this guy sounds like he's got it. Okay, and off that clip, it's time to go beyond the scenes. To help me do that, I've got Daily Show producer Chelsea Williamson and Emmy-nominated Daily Show writer Christiana Mbakwe to walk me through this segment, how it came together, and then we're going to go beyond because that's what we do on Beyond the Scenes. It's in the damn title. What's going on with you all? Chelsea, how are you doing? First, let's start there. I'm doing good. How are you, Roy? I am very well. Christiana, how are you doing? I'm feeling good. Gangs are done. So I'm, I'm, I always oh, feel good when that another happens. day in the Emmy-nominated writer's room <laughs> and she's ready to unwind. And nope, Roy hit you up and drug you onto a podcast. Now, Chelsea, as a producer on this show, you kind of have to have your hand in a bunch of different pots at the same time. What do you remember about the being Black in the workplace piece in terms of the impetus behind it? Yeah, so I remember during the actual, when George Floyd was murdered and that the reckoning beginnings, we were, I want to say, on hiatus. So I feel like we like left for two weeks and then the world was on inflamed by the time we got back. But immediately after it happened, I was, um, you know, obviously trying to process it. 
And I think I was thinking, you know, well, um, what do we do about these people that are in the workplace? Like how are black people being treated in the workplace? Because it's not something that's solely, police violence isn't the only way that racism occurs in this country. Um, it's also very much a daily occurrence uh, just in the workplace and just black people living. So I just started thinking about like, okay, well like what's hap- what's about being black in corporate America? And I like quietly pulled some of my black friends on Instagram. Then I was like, I want to do something on this show. What do you hate about your job? <laughs> basically, basically I was <laughs> that was pretty much like the ask. It was just like, if you're black and you're my friend, can you like tell me what like racial things have happened to you at your job? Um, and so, so you know, I, I did that and I did like a b- whole bunch of like slides on my Instagram and I was like, eh, this isn't really getting that far though beyond like my immediate circle. I took it to Jen, who is our showrunner, because I didn't know who to go to. Um, so I was like, I think this would just be a great thing to cover. And she was like, you should talk to Max. He's head of Deep Dive. So then I went to Max and he was like, yeah, this is great. Like, let's talk about this tomorrow. So we just kind of went on from there. And then, you know, I just stayed on the Deep Dive team after that, too. What was some of the feedback you got from people? Like, what are some of the things that Black people I don't want to say were, are still dealing with in the workplace. Yeah. So I had, you know, a lot of my like black women, fellow black women friends said that they had been, um, they'd basically been profiled for having braids or having their natural hair, um, you know, because I think people like to forget that before like 2014, 2015, people like were not wearing their natural hair. It was not uh, it's not what it is now where it's just commonplace and typical. Um, it was something that a lot of black people still felt like, you know, if you're a man, you can't have your hair grow longer than an inch. And if you're a woman, it needs to be straight. So, um, I had a lot of black female friends that said that, um, some people, they were like, well, at least you're in America. You know, you're not somewhere in Africa. One of my friends was told that by a boss of his um, in regards to the protests. And so I think it's just like those type of microaggressions um, that I mostly saw. And then I was also, you know, going off my own experience where I was called like too professional by like a human resources person at a previous job. What does too professional mean? I think it was that I wasn't willing to, I guess, be fake casual and tell everybody all my business. Uh, that's the only thing I could glean from it. I, I truly couldn't tell you. I think I was just um, very buttoned up, which I thought we were supposed to be in the workplace, but apparently not. So then how do you make that adjustment? Because then if you're too casual, then they go, well, you're not taking your job seriously. And I saw you fraternizing and chilling and chit-chatting with people. As a Black woman, uh, both of you is black women's. That's the plural of woman. I don't know if you know that. I learned that in Alabama public schools. Is there the layers to it that start first with race and then with gender? And then Christiana, uh, well, I'll let you all answer that first. And Christiana, I want to go another level mm-hmm. uh, with you being a black Brit as well. Gosh. Trying to get us in trouble here, Roy. Um, I just want to know what <laughs> what the different layers are of these microaggressions that you're doing. Um, you know, we're talking about like navigating both your blackness and your womanhood. I think I would say, from my experience, the benefit that black men sometimes get in the workplace is that they're kind of considered cool. 
um so as much as like mm. black men obviously do navigate workplace microaggressions the slight advantage that they have of masculinity is that people are like oh that's the cool guy i want him to be my friend um whereas black women have a phenomenon that's often called like from pet to threat i feel bad for not citing the brilliant person that came up with that but initially it's just like oh hey girlfriend like people want to be around you and then you know if a black woman asserts herself in a certain way she becomes threatening um, and just anything from ambition or an opinion is read as aggression. And I think as a black woman in America, anywhere in the West, you're always kind of navigating that um, in just professional spaces. I would say as a black British woman, initially I think the accent for some people can be disarming. So they're like, oh, we like this. You know, Americans love accents. I mean, some people will be like, are you Australian or South African? (laughs) But, you know, Americans do like accents. And um, initially it can kind of be this um, balm that can ease the tension that can come with black, um, a white person as a black person. But I think over time is that people no longer hear the accent and they just treat you like any other black woman, if that if if that makes sense. because you're still at the core, you're still black, right? Um, and and that's kind of been my my experience navigating, you know, professional spaces in America, is that the charm wears off within. Let's give it a few days, <laughs> um, and you will, you know, for better or worse, you're going to experience what it is to be a black person in America and the microaggressions um, that come with it. And and I'm no in no way trying to. Um, compare it to what African-Americans have had to experience for hundreds of years. Because um, I do know I come with like immigrant advantage and passport advantages and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, from my personal experience, I'll say after a while, they're like, you don't care about this accent. You're still a N-word. Can we say the other one? Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're still a Negro. You're still a Negro. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. It's like there's definitely this this thing that as a black person, no matter what country you're from, once you're in the office to the people who aren't black, you the Negro. Absolutely. So it's fair to say that you both have personal experiences that lent themselves to these to this piece. The thing that I think that's really cool as well is that Chelsea, you didn't say this at the top, but. Like this, you pitching this is part of the proof that The Daily Show, anybody in the building with an idea can pitch. Yeah. You weren't doing this before this, but you had an idea. You saw it. You had all of the personal experiences of being too professional and then took that. And now you're on the whole deep dive department. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of gorillaed my way through it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I do think it's definitely like, you know, um, a great case for that because, yeah, I was. And still am Trevor's assistant. So that's kind of like the first job. And this is like the secondary one. But yeah, I think, you know, definitely to echo Christiana's sentiments, um, it's something that as soon as you enter a workplace, you are seen immediately as like a black woman. And I feel like typically what happens is if you want to succeed, you're slotted into being a gossip. That's what I've noticed. Um, that if you're like a gossip type, then people tend to like you because you always have the quote unquote tea. Um, but it does end up getting into the situation where, um, I feel like for a lot of black people, black women, black men, um, you're either like too much or you're not enough. And it's like, there's no middle ground. 
that's allowed for us that I think is allowed for others. Um, so then navigating being professional, navigating corporate America is hard because what are you supposed to do on two sides of an extreme? Have you had like similar experiences, Roy? Here and there, but it's it's difficult for me to have that comparison because when we talk about the corporate space, I've almost always been talent. You know, I did morning radio for about 10 years. And during that time, you had some microaggressions, but as on-air talent, you're treated with a different air than someone on the sales side of the building, per se. Having worked in these corporations before The Daily Show, and you know what's happening there on a day-to-day level in the office, how did you all feel when you saw all of the... I stopped short of calling it performative togetherness in Black Square. We care about the BIPOC community stuff that was happening with corporations. Did you feel a lot of that was sincere or performative? Oh, for me, I, I it's, this is capitalism. Of course, it was like, it's called a very cynical calculation. Um, I think for a lot of brands, and I, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll go back and say, you know, the George Floyd video was so violent and cut and dry, that there was nobody that can watch it and justify anything of what the torture that happened, that it was almost an easy one for corporations and people to get behind um, because it was apparent that this was so wrong. So when a brand makes a, a, a statement that George Floyd's life matters and what happened was horrible, um, to me, it wasn't that difficult for them to do. And they kind of made this calculation that it was better to say something than not because so many people were watching, right? And I think it was mostly to kind of comfort white America because white people were very distressed by that video because it kind of just disrupted this idea of the good policeman, right? Because that's the story that they've told themselves and policemen do tend to be good to white people. So they needed to hear from whether it was Starbucks or whatever brand it was that we saw this thing and we think it's terrible and we think black people matter. And to be honest, like saying that is kind of the bar's really low. It's not even like we love black people. We like them. We think they're exceptional. It's just that we think they matter, which to me, it should be self-evident. If anybody believes in human rights, we should think anybody matters. Um, So to me, yeah, it was just kind of very cynical act and, you know, it, of course it was performative. I think brands are, any statement a brand makes in public is performance, you know, and even in the social justice space that happens. This is when I knew it was getting serious. When Nickelodeon made a statement, I was like, <laughs> we didn't even ask Nickelodeon to say anything. Yo, it, it got like, so we random. SpongeBob, we care. It was like your local yoga studio. Right. It was like the people that make clipping hair extensions. Like it, it was just like, okay, guys, what is going on here? It's kind of like, is are, what are you actually saying? Like there was nothing behind it anymore by like, I don't know, a week or two in. But while these companies are posting messages of support for the black community, many black people who work in these companies are asking them to put their money where their mouth is. Big name corporations sharing messages of solidarity, but many are calling on them to practice what they preach. Employees at places like Estee Lauder and Adidas speaking out against a lack of diversity and equality in their workplaces, despite public messages of support from the company's CEOs. In a video, Nike said, don't pretend there's not a problem in America. Critics point out that all of Nike's executives are white. You cannot say Black Lives Matter publicly when you don't show us 
Black Lives Matter within your own homes and within your organizations. Yeah, that's right. If you are just some random person who has 10 followers on Twitter and you tweet Black Lives Matter, maybe that's the best you can do. But if you're a major corporation that hires thousands of people, you can actually show that Black Lives Matter in a material way that goes beyond your social media feed. On their own, corporate tweets are useless. No one's gonna stop being racist because SpaghettiOs told them to. Like, it's not enough to just be Black Lives Matter in the tweets. You gotta be Black Lives Matter in the streets. Hell, you gotta be Black Lives Matter in the sheets. Okay, maybe I didn't think that last one through, but you know what I mean. So it's clear that this issue, definitely, we were able to kind of make it funny and poignant. But after the break, I want to talk with you all how you all were able to maintain that balance within the script, because it is something personal to you. It is something that's not a laughing matter. Uh, We'll do that after the break. This is Beyond the Scenes. Beyond. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from Jon and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We talked about this around the building, Christiana. Mm-hmm. How do you maintain the balance of what people need to know versus what you know they're going to actually leave with or what they're actually going to laugh at? I think during COVID and, you know, in particular with this George Floyd um, uprising that happened, I think people needed, especially white people, that's why they were buying all those books, they needed a lot of context. <laughs> Like, it's like people really needed to understand they're leading like the 1619 project. They're like trying to figure out basically America's history, (laughs) you know? And I think that there were parts of our audience that were just like, why is there so much, why is there such an outpouring on the streets? They really wanted to understand how America had got where it had got to. And I think our show is kind of different in the sense that we've had to cover a lot of police shootings. Since Trevor's been at the show, I think we've pretty much covered all of the high profile incidents in some way. So it's a conversation that has been happening with the Daily Show audience, I think, longer than some some at some other places. So I think our show needed less context about police brutality per se, but then we could touch on another level and, you know, what Chelsea brought to the table, what's happening in corporate culture. You know, it's it's hard with something as upsetting as this case and that moment because you want to give people information, you want to be funny, but we're also mindful of the fact that people are still really hurting um, and like how emotionally raw that moment was. So I think it was a real tightrope. It, you know, I, I even felt when being in the gangs, like, how do we how do we say what we need to say without seeming, you know, flippant? Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing for the people who don't know. The writers gangs is where the writers all, quote unquote, gang up on a topic or mm-hmm. gang up on this one thing for the day and everybody starts bouncing around stuff. What is that like when you're in the room with other writers who haven't lived that experience, but yeah. also have to tell you, eh, is there a better way to say touched your hair? Instead of grab, the, like, 
how hands-on or hands-off were the other writers in giving you the space to be able to address something that was so personal? I never read anything that I made me be like, Ugh. like, why would they say that? Why, why would, that makes me uncomfortable. And I think that's because we probably have the only white writers in late night who are really good at doing black tragedy because they've done it so much, <laughs> you know? So it's just like, Isn't that a crazy it's, thing so, to say? it's so fucked up. It's so yeah. messed up. But that's, that's, that's the reality that all of our white writers would have had to have written on a race piece that involves tragedy at some point. Um, and obviously the black writers too. So we were really equipped and that, I mean, for, from my perspective, that makes scrolling through gangs a, a lot less triggering because you know you're not going to read some bull, you know. So Chelsea, the way I've tried to explain the writer's room, the writers will take the information that's brought to them. They take the groceries and make the meal where mm -hmm. the producers and deep dive and everybody else, it's their job to go to the grocery store and find all of the ingredients. As you were doing research on this topic, how much, like, how did you decide, like, all right, that's, that's fucked up, but we can't talk about that in this particular piece. Like how much BS were you finding that's going on in the boardrooms of a lot of companies? I think with this one is a lot of it was actually more informed by our experience. So it was more of me and one of the other members of the team um, at the time, who was also, he's a black man. We were basically just talking about our experiences. So what we were essentially trying to do with the research is find things to back us up. If you're one of the few black people who have made it into corporate America, congratulations. Your reward is working every day with some people who have no idea how to act around you. Microaggression describes indirect or subtle discrimination. And if you're on the receiving end, it can be as hurtful as anything overt. White people will come to me and say, you speak so well. <laughs> and then, right, you speak so well, or you're very articulate. In my own personal experience, like you don't sound black. Like, what does sound black and sound white really mean? You're not like the others and stuff like that. And you think about it because it's like, you're not like the others. So, well, what are the others? The assumption is always going to lead in that I'm, I know less. My manager turns to me and says, well, isn't your hair so big because all of your intelligence is in there? And physically grabbed my hair. Yeah, every day, black people have to navigate a workplace filled with people who don't even realize that they're doing something offensive. You're so intelligent, it must be in your hair. This is what you get from living in a segregated society. Instead of knowing black people and black culture, you've got white folks interacting with black people like they're making contact with E.T. Hello, my friend. Do your people shake hands? Nah, it's a coronavirus. So it was a little bit different than normal where we're just like out trying to find the actual research and then, you know, find a story through it. But it's like, we had the story, it was just like, can we find somebody else or can we find the statistics? Can we find that um, information that'll back up what we already have experienced? And, and how hard is that? Because racism and discrimination is like turned into a vapor in a lot of spaces now mm. where it's not this quantifiable proof of colored fountain signs. Mm -hmm. It's this weird, blobulous thing that you can say it's happening, but if you can't show me data, did it really happen? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it was it was difficult. Like we were we were like finding people's like personal, you know, first person anecdotal experiences because some things, you know, a lot of um 
media especially just doesn't cover it because as you said people kind of think it doesn't exist um so you know there are certain things that like we even couldn't include because we couldn't find things to back us up um so you know there there is that as well what's the feeling like chelsea when you see this piece air you've thought this you've taken it to flans she took it to him took it to him then christiana came in and then y'all was in the kitchen y'all was talking to each other with zoom did you see that thing yes girl oh and then it aired what was just just what what was that feeling uh it felt great i mean because it was like it was basically putting into words what i had felt ever since i started working and i felt like i was being gaslit because people don't like to talk about it um they like to you know the extent for a lot of corporations is like oh we maybe have like a multicultural committee or we have like a black you know, employee group or whatever. And that's basically it. But it's like, you very much stay within your employee group and you talk about it there, but you don't talk about it with your white coworkers and you don't tell them, this is how you're making me feel. So for me, it was very much like, yes, here's everything that I've wanted to say and explain all these years and how we're put into a very anxious space as black people in white corporate environments. Because if you do something to me, that's you know, racial or that's like a microaggression. I'm the one that has to deal with that, like anxiety of should I tell somebody who would even believe me if I do? Will HR be helpful? Because most of the time they're not. Um, You know, we're the ones that have to deal with all of that, whereas the white person is just going on about their lives. I have to say, though, Chelsea, someone called you too professional and you left that company and joined another company and worked your way into the creative space within that company and formed a segment that then aired on national television to explain to people the ways in which they're being terribly unprofessional. (laughs) And that is exactly what a professional would do. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think there's a weird reckoning that's starting to happen finally in the workplace? Because, you know, I know that a lot of companies did the performative stuff last summer, but then came the the seminars and the Zoom sessions and the the I, I call it the, the group, the group hug. Hey, guys, we, we love you. We want you to know we love you. And we're just checking on you and make sure you're OK. <laughs> Do you think that's at least to some degree half a footstep in the right direction? I feel like I'm happy that there's accountability now to a degree. Um, Even that small bit that we got, that's the most I've ever seen. Um, And that I think the most that probably our parents' generation has ever seen where it's like being talked about so often and where companies felt like they had to start publishing the numbers because people were literally in their DMs like, hey, y'all are always profiting off of black culture. How many black people do you have that work here? I feel like they just need to keep being held accountable because a lot of these companies will just go back to their old ways if nobody is there holding their feet to the fire about hiring black people and then retaining them once you hire them. 
Christiana, what are some of the practical things companies can do to basically, you know, keep their diversity numbers up and, you know, have black people in the workplace and improve their working experience with ain't enough just to have black people. You got to make sure they're comfortable once they're in the building. I mean, I believe it's about widening and deepening the pool of black candidates that you see and getting hired. Because from my observation, you know, if a black person is in corporate America, they or in any professional space, they're oftentimes pulled from, you know, certain places, either go to, you know, the Ivy League, a certain type of PWI, a select number of HBCUs. And I'm really interested in seeing it being expanded to broader HBCUs, like the HBCUs that kind of get forgotten. I'm interested in us looking at being keen to get more black people who come from poor and working class backgrounds, because I just, I feel like there is just a pipeline of like black elite kids to corporations. The black kids that are going to succeed tend to get hired by these places, right? And mm-hmm. there seems to be an interest in hiring a very quote unquote, what they call palatable black person. And the loaded word is like, oh, they're just a good fit, right? Until you have like you know, texture and variety and the black candidates that get into these companies, I I don't think we're going to see true progress, you know, because in my opinion, if, if black people from the Ivy League are struggling at law firms, right, they, they feel isolated and they're struggling. (laughs) What about the other people? Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm just keen for it to be as many, you know, diverse within black people, because I don't think people think about diversity within black candidates. They think black being black is the diversity. And to me, that's just being black doesn't make you di- di- a diverse candidate, really. Like that we need to broaden it a bit. And, you know, and also just looking at black people that may not have degrees, but have something to offer. Because if you go to the tech world, you meet plenty of white boys who don't even have a degree. And they're like founders and they're COOs and they've done really well yeah, for themselves. Self-taught. Self-taught. But there is a path for them, Mm -hmm. right? There's a path for the white college dropout to be the founder of Facebook. To me, it's not progress if all the black candidates are pulled from your elite. That's just replication, replicating um, class elitism, in my opinion. Chelsea, do you think we're at the beginning of an arms race within corporations to have more talented? But like if you're black and you can do the job well, you about to have five, six people fawning over you, doubling and tripling the office at this point. Or... Are they, is it what Christianity said, we just nibble a little bit and just give me one or two blacks. I don't need that many. I think it's probably in between at this point. Like, I feel like there has definitely been a, um, a call for more black people to join various organizations because, again, they were getting called out last year. But I feel like most of the people that are probably being recruited and getting these jobs are either already in the pipeline or they're being recruited from a certain class level um, because they're able to do it and they know the right people or, you know, whatever it may be. So I feel like it's definitely like a mix between those two things, but it is, we do definitely need to expand our definition of like, what is black diversity for sure. Have you noticed any major brands or corporations that are just, that have had some changes over the past year or just have like, just flat out said in black and white, This is what we're doing to make quantifiable change. This is what it is. I think we will really know if this moment has been impactful long term in about five to 10 years. I think 
we're measuring too soon, perhaps, you know, and I may be being cynical too soon. <laughs> well, but you know what it's like, though? I feel like a lot of these white corporations, or a lot of just corporations, but white, a lot of these corporations in general, I think that it's kind of like when you're a guy and you mess up with your girl and you're trying to get out of the doghouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You keep checking in every day. What about now? Get now? <laughs> what about now? All right, I put the black square on my Instagram. What about now? I I hired, I created a new position called the black person in charge of blackness. <laughs> what about now? Because I think there were, there were a couple of fashion and beauty brands. I think they made like a 15% pledge. Yeah. To have some degree of staffing or making sure that, and then um, also in Hollywood, you know, there are a lot of companies, there are a lot of production companies that are making diversity pledges to having X number of positions reserved for the BIPOC community behind the camera as well. Yeah, we're seeing more inclusion writers and things like that, which is a really good first step. But I think it goes back to what Chelsea has been saying about when those black people do get on set or do get into those companies, is it an environment where they feel comfortable so the talent can be retained and we're not seeing what we oftentimes see is that somebody comes in and they last a couple of years and then they go. And then the company's like, oh my God, we can't keep black people. We tried. Okay. Right. We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Or they keep them at the same level because that's also a major problem where it's like they won't promote a lot of black people. Like, you know, that was one of the big findings we had is that so few like I think Fortune 500 companies have black people in the C-suite, um, you know, the CEOs, the CCOs, CFOs, like we just don't make it up there. And they're just looking at each other like, well, I don't know. I don't know. They just they they just top out someplace. And it's like, well, no, you're probably not mentoring them or pouring into them. And you should because they're coming in from a different perspective and you're not promoting them. Like you're not even giving them the option um, typically to even go for a job. Well, this has been a deep and moving and amazing conversation. And I thank you ladies both for this. That's all the time we have today for Beyond the Scenes. A special thank you to you, Chelsea Williamson. And thank you to you, Christiana Mbakwe. Hopefully by now we've taken you beyond the scenes. Take care, everybody. Play me some music, producer. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to go even further beyond the scenes? Check out the video version of Beyond the Scenes on The Daily Show's YouTube page. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from Jon and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.